Hey, good morning, church. Uh, before we get started with our lesson proper, just some housekeeping, a couple of housekeeping announcements to take care of. The elders are recommending a, a man for deacon and a man for elder for our church. So I want to give you a brief synopsis of these two men. First of all, Eddie Richburg is being recommended to be a deacon here at Vera Christian Church. Now, when, when a person aspires to be a deacon or an elder, there's a course of study to go through guided study and mentoring. So a little bit of what Eddie has gone through. Eddie has studied through 13 lessons in Christian doctrine by Denver Sizemore and 12 more lessons in Christian doctrine by the same author. He has studied through Aaron Chambers' book, Devoted, also the book Real Life Discipleship, the book on prayer that's entitled The Circle Maker, uh, the F Not a Fan by Ken Eidelman, and Simple Church by Tom Rainier. And he has been mentored primarily by uh, Elder uh, Tim Winans. Eddie and Connie are in the Winans Life Group, and he serves on the Outreach Ministry Committee. He also helps out in the Children's Education Department. He's helped out with Embrace Grace over here on Wednesday nights, and at this time not interested in pursuing the path for eldership, but does want to serve as a deacon at your pleasure. So that's the first recommendation, Eddie Richburg for deacon. Secondly is Randy Loss, is the one with the beard up here, uh, is being recommended by the elders to become an elder here at Vera Christian Church. He uh, has served as a deacon at Vera Christian for seven years. Randy was mentored primarily by me, others as well. He has studied through 13 lessons in Christian doctrine, 12 more lessons in Christian doctrine. He has studied through theologian Jack Cottrell's systematic theology book entitled The Faith Once for All. It's a graduate level book. He's prepared a PowerPoint teaching outline on each one of the 33 chapters in that book. He's been a Bible student for many years, has a library of Christian books larger than mine including all of the collected writings of Jack Cottrell, among others. Randy has attended, attended conferences and retreats with the church leadership. He leads a life group. He teaches on Sunday mornings. Randy serves in the building and grounds ministry, the security ministry, the monthly lunch ministry, any other ministry that he can get into. Uh, Randy has a servant's heart, and he has a pastor's heart. So these two men are being recommended to you. The process here is that over the next two weeks, if anyone knows of any reason why they should not be affirmed into these positions of leadership, please contact one of our three elders and let them know. An email will go out uh, to the congregation on Monday with the information that I've just provided to you. All right, now, the second piece of housekeeping is we had some baptisms this past week. So Dustin C. was baptized into Christ yesterday on Saturday by Nate Wilkerson. Nate was given the video announcements this morning. So the C was angry yesterday, my friends, but they were not deterred. And we have a very brief clip, just a few seconds here, of that baptism to show you. All right. So congratulations to Dustin C. I think I heard one of Nate's kids saying, be careful, Daddy. It washed out to see. But that's always great to see that. And also, um, two other baptisms, Steve and Denise Crapo, they actually attend the 830 service. They were baptized on Monday night at Tom and Carol Dybel's house in their pool. And Tom is one of our elders, and he baptized Steve and Denise. Denise had been sprinkled as an infant in the Catholic Church, and uh, Steve had never been baptized before to his recollection. 
They had come to realize through teaching that biblical baptism is of someone who's old enough to have their own faith and their own repentance. And so they submitted to that baptism. So we rejoice with them and we welcome them to the congregation as well. Been a long journey. A lot of people had a good influence on them, including Bob Mallett. Some of you will remember Bob Mallett. He's in heaven now, but he was very influential in their lives and they wanted to give him some of the credit for that. So that's, it's always, we're team Jesus here and I appreciate your influence in welcoming new folks to the church. By the way, we have a Discover class once a month for those who have been visiting with us, worshiping with us, and are interested in what we believe and how to get involved, and that's going to be next Sunday following the 8.30 service and following the 11 o'clock service. Okay, so let's, let's get going on the lesson. A Christian herder was the governor of Massachusetts, and he was running for re-election when he attended one of these fundraising barbecues. So he's going through the line with his plate to get food, and he's got servers there putting food on the plate. And the, the server puts a piece of chicken on his plate, and he said, ma'am, could I have two pieces of chicken? And she said, no, uh, we're only giving out one piece per person. He said, I understand that. I'm really hungry. He said, I did not have breakfast. I haven't had lunch. Could you make an exception? And I could just get two pieces of chicken. She said, I'm sorry, sir, but I have my instructions. It's one piece of chicken per customer. Now, it's said that Christian Herder was normally a humble man, but on this occasion, he decided to throw his weight around a little bit. So he, says, he said, do you know who I am? I am the governor of Massachusetts. And the woman responded, do you know who I am? I am the lady in charge of the chicken. Now move along. And sometimes our relationship to government can be complicated, but the Bible is not silent on this subject. If you're new to us, we've been in a sermon series on 1 Peter entitled Keys to the Kingdom, and the key that we're looking at today is the submission key. We're going to look at what Peter says about Christians and our relationship to government. 1 Peter 2, he writes, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Live as free people. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, just briefly here, I'm going to summarize the content under three statements that I hope are a little pithy and maybe memorable. Just three statements that characterize our relationship to government from here. And the first one is Christians are law-abiding. Christians are law, but we're law-abiding citizens. Uh, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. This is our default posture toward authority as Christians. We are pro-authority. We want there to be governmental authority. Uh, Peter says, authority instituted among men. Instituted by whom? Instituted by God. And that's the point for us. Peter says, for the Lord's sake. These are authorities instituted by God. Jesus commended civil authority in Matthew twenty two twenty one when he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. The Apostle Paul is like-minded with the Apostle Peter here. He writes in Romans 13, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists 
authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So the idea here is not that God puts every specific person into place in authority. God did not put Putin in charge of Russia, for instance, or Hitler in charge of Germany. The idea is that God has created spheres of authority. For instance, in the church, that's a sphere of authority. Elders are over the church. That's biblical. It's not a democracy. Right? The elders oversee the church. And likewise, there is government authority, and our posture as Christians is to submit ourselves to that authority. Their role is justice. It's to punish evildoers, protect those who are innocent. Paul writes in Timothy 2.2, we should pray for government so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Now, you know, we like to poke fun at our government. It's kind of a national sport in America. And I like to as much as anyone. I like the story. There was a shepherd who was watching over his flock of sheep when a city dude pulled up and he had this fancy car and Armani suit and he sticks his head out the window. He says, hey, if I can tell you how many sheep you have in your flock there, will you give me one? The shepherd said, all right, give it a shot. And he pulls out his cell phone, you know, accesses a satellite, gets a GPS picture. He counts up the sheep, says, you've got 1,432 sheep. Shepherd said, well, that's pretty impressive. Go ahead and get one. So he gets out, gets an animal, stuffs it in the back seat, and he's starting to leave. And the shepherd says, wait a minute. Let's do this. If I can tell you exactly what you do for a living, will you give him back? The guy said, okay, give it a shot. And the shepherd said, you are an accountant for the federal government. The guy said, that's exactly right. How did you do that? He said, it was easy. First, you pull up in this fancy car. You ask me a question that I already knew the answer to. You wanted something for nothing, and finally, you don't know anything about my business. Now, give me back my dog. Now, so, it's corny, but I like it. I like to poke fun. You know, we just like to tease and poke fun at the government. But, all kidding aside, we are grateful to God for putting governing authorities in place. That's our posture, and that's our attitude. We only have to look at a situation where good government has been taken out of the picture and see the chaos that ensues to recognize it's very important for us to thank God and thank those who are serving in that capacity. The book of Judges in the Old Testament is one of the most grim books in the Bible. Much of it's rated R. You don't want to read these scenarios to your kids. And the reason why, is, here's the theme of Judges. Judges 21-25. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. It's anarchy. And one thing a Christian can never be for, we might espouse a different form of government or a different administration, but we are not anarchists. We are pro-authority. So if you have served, for instance, in local government or state government or national government, the judicial branch, legislative branch, executive branch, law enforcement, we thank you and we honor you today. Thank you very much. Law-abiding. Here's the second statement. Christians are freedom-loving. Talking about Christians in government. Christians are freedom-loving. Peter says, live as free people and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. We're free. I mean, Christians are free, regardless of the form of government. We are free from slavery to sin. We are free from law-keeping as a means of salvation. We are free from guilt we are free from the fear of death that characterizes all people who are outside 
of Christ. And we also have one other form of freedom. Theologian Jack Cottrell puts it this way, quote, We are free to disobey any human law that requires us to disobey God. Indeed, we are required to disobey human laws in such a situation. Now let me read you two quotes from the New Testament, the book of Acts, and then some of you knowledgeable Bible students, maybe you can tell me who said these two quotes. Same person said both quotes. First from Acts chapter 4, verse 19. Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling everything we have seen and heard. Second quote, next chapter, Acts 5, 29. We must obey God rather than any human authority. All right, anybody know who said that? Peter. The Apostle Peter, the one who wrote the letter that we're studying right now, who said, live as free people. There are certain situations where we must obey God rather than men. Paul writes in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So we don't have to ask permission from any government authority to pray to God or to gather together and worship God or to love our neighbor or to do anything. There's no law against these things, but sometimes there is. And if there is, we still don't need to ask permission because we answer to a higher power. When Jesus was being tried, Pilate said to Jesus, John 19.10, don't you know that I have the authority to release you and I have the authority to crucify you? To which Jesus responded, if God had not given you authority, you couldn't do anything to me at all. So the biblical teaching is God is the ultimate source of all authority. All other authority is derivative from God. It's delegated by God and is accountable to God. There was a point we read in Luke where the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, did you know that Herod Antipas wants to take your life? He is seeking to take your life. You remember what Jesus said? Luke 13, 31. Jesus said, go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I finish my course. Now, I've capitalized fox here. In the Greek language, as many of you may know, the nouns have genders. So you have feminine gender, you have masculine gender, and neuter. Those are the three genders for a noun. And Jesus is using the feminine gender of this word fox. Nicholas Vaughts writes in reference to this verse, Jesus was not emphasizing Herod's artful deviancy when he referred to him as a fox, but was laughing off the threat. What's to be afraid of? Herod is nothing more than a girl dog who hides in a hole in the ground. Jesus does not seem concerned with the risk. He knows he must die and die shortly. He expects to die, counts on dying, but not at the hand of Herod. In spite of Herod's threat, Jesus will cast out devils and cure the sick on that day and the next. Jesus' mission will not be thwarted by a filthy and effeminate dog. Jesus instructs the Pharisees to relate that message back to Herod Antipas. Now, 
my point here is that the overall point, that while we are in submission to civil authorities, we are freedom-loving. We're freedom-loving. And we answer ultimately to God. I want to read you an excerpt from a blog post by Bob Russell. Bob Russell, that name will be known to some of you, maybe not everyone, but I get his weekly blog posts, and they're always good. Uh, but I wanted to read this one. I felt it was relevant, and it's just two weeks old. It's kind of long. It's two pages on my outline, so you may work a little harder to stay with me here, but I think it's worthwhile. And Bob Russell writes this. Many Americans don't really appreciate freedom simply because we've never been without it. We can't envision our country being conquered by a foreign power and living under the oppression of a ruthless adversary. We can't imagine our government officials becoming heartless tyrants. So we're willing to temporarily sacrifice a few minor freedoms in exchange for promised security. We prefer the comfort of Big Brother's safeguards and naively trust the government to provide for and protect us. He said, let's think seriously for a moment about what it would be like if America were no longer the land of the free. And then hopefully we'll place a higher value on liberty and be more determined to preserve it. And then the blog, he points over to China as an example. As of March 1st, it's illegal to discuss the Bible or Christianity on the internet without government permission in China. And of course, they're massacring the Uyghurs who are Muslims. They're just anti-God. But he says also a graphic example of what happens when liberty is squandered is the biblical nation of Israel. The Israelites grew accustomed to the freedom they enjoyed in the promised land. God was good. The land flowing with milk and honey was prosperous and free. They were instructed to, quote, proclaim liberty throughout the land, end quote. But the Israelites cavalierly turned from the one true God and exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And soon their carnal appetites for pleasure and immorality consumed them. Spiritual disciplines were abandoned. And over time, God withdrew his protection and allowed the ruthless Babylonians to overtake and oppress them. After the Babylonian hordes conquered Jerusalem, the prophet Jeremiah documented the horrendous results in the book of Lamentations. Here are 13. Little children cried for lack of food and water. Wealthy citizens became destitute. Former national leaders were held in contempt. Former religious leaders were ridiculed. Former allies abandoned them. Violent thugs terrorized the streets. Their ruthless conquerors harassed them constantly. Wives and daughters were taken captive and abused. Their sons were tortured and enslaved. Music and joy vanished. A spirit of despair permeated the nation. The land was ravaged and landmarks destroyed. And the people finally repented and cried to God for help. The Lord heard their cry, and after 70 years of enslavement and humiliation, a remnant survived to rebuild Jerusalem and its temple, but life in Judea was never quite the same. It is disastrous when people lose their freedom to power-hungry tyrants. Power almost always corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that's why, this is Bob Russell, that's why we need to repent of our sins now and turn to God for help. In the end, freedom trumps security. And freedom is worth fighting and dying for. Jesus did. And he said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Peter cautions, do not use your freedom as Christians to indulge in sin. We're actually, we've been ransomed from one master, sin and Satan, to serve another master, God and Jesus. Spiritual freedom is the freedom to use our free will to choose 
to desire to do what we ought to do, what God wants us to do, God helping us. As you may know, you've probably heard this, John Adams said, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. James Madison said likewise, our constitution requires sufficient virtue among men for self-government. Otherwise, nothing less than the chains of despotism can restrain them from destroying and devouring one another. I, I, how, do we, how do we love freedom in our country? Be politically active. I believe in voting. I'd love to see a lot of church folks running for office. The more politically active, the better. But maybe the very best thing we can do is be evangelistic. The, the gospel is the answer. The gospel always brings freedom, spiritual freedom, which translates into liberty in the land. The more people who become Christians, the more you have law-abiding, freedom-loving citizens. Okay, law-abiding, freedom-loving. And then the third statement here is Christians are myth-busting. Myth-busting. Here's what I mean by that. Peter says, for such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, the early church, well, the church has always been criticized. The early church was criticized for many reasons. They, they were all slanderous. They were all false. But for instance, they were accused of being cannibals in the early church because they were, just, they were misunderstood. This is my body. This is my blood. The communion service led to that accusation. We're going to have our lunch after, at 12 o'clock today, our carry-in lunch. They called their dinners love feasts. They were accused of having orgies. They were accused of being disloyal to the government because Christians refused to take that pinch of incense and burn it to Caesar as Lord. They only had one Lord. So the, the church has always been criticized and slandered, but Peter says the way to silence the ignorance of foolish men is through righteousness, righteous deeds, and good works. And that's how the early church overcame Rome. They eventually dominated Rome because when the Romans would abandon their little babies out on the hillside that they didn't want, the Christians would go out there and take them into their homes and raise them. The Christians took care of widows and orphans and not just the church's widows and orphans, but everybody's widows and orphans. And people saw that. And it silenced the criticism and the foolishness of ignorant men. Now let me read something to you. Matthew Paris is an author and he gained some attention not long ago when he published an article in the London Times with this title, he, As an Atheist, I Believe Africa Needs God. That was, now he's an atheist, that was the title of his article. Let me read you an excerpt. Matthew Paris writes, I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa, sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, government projects, and international aid efforts. These alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. And the rebirth is real. And the change is good. Christians black and white working in Africa do heal the sick. Do teach people to read and write. And only the severest kind of secularists could see a mission hospital, a mission school, a mission orphanage, and say the world would be better without it. Faith does more than support the missionary. It is also transferred to his flock. This is the critical effect which I, having grown up in Africa, cannot help observing. 
It's the will of God that by doing good, we silence the ignorance of foolish men. The world sees that, and that's what makes the impression and wins the hearing. So, back to the book of Judges. We'll land the plane with this. In Gilead, there was a mighty warrior named Jephthah. He was a fighter, very effective, but he was an illegitimate child. And his own family kicked him out of the house, and then the rest of the, the Gileadites in that community kicked him out of their community. And he had to go away and live somewhere else, and he gathered a little band of fighting men with him. He was a fighter. The day came when the Ammonites attacked Gilead. And so, who did they go looking for? They went looking for Jephthah. Jephthah, they said, come, come on back. Come back to Gilead and help us out. Lead our army against the Ammonites. Jephthah said, why are you coming to me? Are you coming to me now just because you're in trouble? Now you want my help? And they said, yes, we are in trouble and we need your help. Judges 11.8, they said, Jephthah, we need you. And he helped them. Now, the church today is, is often criticized and slandered. You know, you've heard this. Christians are bigots or Christians are haters. You know, or Christians are racist, where, wherever the criticism is coming from. And Peter says, you keep on living a righteous life and doing good. That's the way to silence the foolishness of ignorant men in our lives, you know, in our workspace, as students, in our communities. People will notice maybe that you go to church, that you're a person of prayer, that your language is clean, the way you act, talk, and to conduct yourself is in a certain way. Now, sometimes that, that may garner a little pushback. But it seems like the day comes, often the day comes in a critic's life when they're in trouble. They get some trouble. Someone dies, and they're in deep grief, and they, they have a need. Or maybe there's a financial setback, or maybe a child or a grandchild is taking a walk on the wild side, or maybe there's a life-threatening disease, and they're in trouble. And when that happens, you've probably seen it, and I've seen it many times. That's when a person in trouble goes looking for someone who seems to know something about spiritual truths, who seems to know God, who seems to be a man or a woman of prayer. And while... You may have been shunned in the past. You may well find yourself being approached by someone who says, I'm in trouble. I need you. Can you help me? And that's going to be the grand opportunity. Let's bow for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we pray today that we can appreciate what you've given us. When government is good or even moderately good or even above average, Lord, there are blessings for us. And we thank you for that and for the people who serve in that way. We thank you that you've given us freedom in Christ, which also often translates into freedom in our environment, in our society. And Lord, most of all, we thank you that you, through your Holy Spirit, empower us to live a righteous life and stand up and give a testimony for you. And we pray for the opportunity to do that and help people when they are in need, just like we have been in need in the past. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.